Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Jim Sims and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show in our 13th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. And I'm William Hosea. The Indiana primary election is tomorrow. In today's broadcast, we'll be devoting the balance of the hour to the underpinning of our democratic process, the right to vote. All this and more in the next hour on Bring It On. We are very, very fortunate to have with us this evening Miss Nicole Brown, incumbent Monroe County Clerk. She is running in tomorrow's primary and is joining us for an in-depth discussion on voting trends and voting privileges for ex-offenders. Along with Nicole, we have invited Mia Beach, producer of the highly successful WFHB program, Kite Line. This syndicated show airs from 5.30 to 6 p.m. on Mondays and Fridays. We've also invited, uh, at the request of Mia uh, Fahim, who will join us to talk about his experience after being released from prison. Am I? Oh. Yeah, you. <laughs> I'd have and no finally, idea where I am. Thank uh, you. Actually, it's me. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, let me see here. That's okay. Joining so the why, conversation. Why don't we just go ahead and get started? Yeah, but I will mention that joining us by phone later will be Fahim. Um, and as William mentioned, he was recently released after 18 years and as, as an inmate at an Indiana prison. He will be sharing his perspectives as an ex-offender exercising his right to vote in Indiana. And with that, Nicole... Mia, and a little later on, Fahim, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Okay. And I said earlier, this was a live show. This really is not. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work the first time. It's not going to work now. Um, let's start this evening with you, Nicole. Um, since tomorrow, the actual vote is tomorrow, and as your statistics will indicate, I'm sure we've already have about 60% of all the eligible voters have already done early voting in Monroe County. So I'm just being totally facetious. And with that, I will send that to you. Well, thank you again for having me. And I would love to have had the problem of 60% of people taking advantage of the opportunity to vote early. In fact, what we had was 6%, um, approximately 5,500 voters of the total number of registered voters in Monroe County exercised the opportunity to come out and early vote. And it was not for lack of trying. We had a early voting commercial out there. I know on different websites for the different candidates and um, support groups, we had a number of people posting hours and encouraging people to get out and vote early. So you said 6% came out to vote early. 6% of the total. Out of the total, out of 100% of the total registered voters in Monroe County. Do you know what that number is? Which would be about 100,000. Okay. Right now. Okay. Um, how does it impact your job or your, the job of your office um, when you have multiple races that are contested? Does that add anything extra or 
you're busy already. We are busy yes. already. It is that's just part of it. Yeah. Is that some races are um, have contenders, um, multiple race persons yes. in the race, and then some are uncontested. So uh, they all all the votes have to be counted, whether it's a contested race or not. And uh, we will take care of that just about this time tomorrow night. So, is the number of candidates that we have currently is that normal, or is it? Uh higher or lower than years past? I don't know that it's any higher or lower than years past. I, um, in particular, have been pleased to see the increase in the number of women candidates mm. who are running for office. That's across the board. Though, that is it? across well, the, the country, board. I mean. It's following that national trend, yeah. and it's uh, a very exciting time in Monroe County. The women are definitely empowered this year. I wonder why. Can, um, can you, you know, can you come, can you come up with anything? I married a woman and I have a daughter. I, 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 well, <laughs> well, let's let's go ahead. Just say you're lawsuit. right. You're all right. Um, I will ask you, Nicole, though, and I know this is um, would require maybe a crystal ball looking into the future. But obviously, there's not a lot of contested races or even um, candidates in some of the Republican side races. Do you anticipate that? they'll hold caucuses maybe or we'll get some late entries for the November election? There certainly could be some late entries and the time to do that will be in July um, where some independent candidates can come and you know throw their hat into the ring and we'd be excited for that. We will work with whatever comes our way for the November election. Okay um, and I'm sure Mr. William would agree with that and we'll probably bounce back and forth and, and as he said earlier um, if you just feel the urge and want to get something off, just let us know that. Um, and if I can switch over to Miss Mia Beach, um, thank you for being with us. Um, oh, thank you for having before me. we came on our mention, I've, I've heard a couple of the shows intriguing, um, and it's like they grab you and you just kind of forced to listen, um, and particularly with some of the the human aspects and maybe some of the things that we don't think about or foresee for ex offenders and how their life is impacted after they've quote unquote paid their debt to society. Um, I was driving in on the way in and I was listening to another show on WFHB. This is a great station. Um, but one of the things that I heard was that sometimes felonies are akin to a life sentence, um, in particular for African Americans or, or people of color or other um, disenfranchised groups um, due to some of the lack of freedoms or, or, or that they are allowed to participate after release. Um, can you speak on that a little bit? Well, <coughs> excuse me. Some of it, I think, is also um, the stigma that people face and the way in which even after uh, they've been released and they've, you know, done their time, um, they're still asked to account for um, why they were incarcerated. That's still something that keeps coming up and it impacts their ability to get jobs. It impacts their social relationships. And it's something that continues to happen. Um, and the way in which, you know, I, I talk to um, people who've been released on a regular basis and it's something that doesn't end even after they have been out for years. Um, it's something that, you know, they will have to account for. Um, and we've recently seen it in the case of um, Michelle Jones, who was in the Indiana Women's Prison, where she um, got an education while she was inside. Um, and then when she was released, um, you know, she applied for Ph.D. programs and was on the cover of The New York Times um, 
because, you know, about the educational process. And they actually, you know, talked within the first couple of sentences uh, about uh, the reason why she was incarcerated. It was definitely just like right there. And it's something that people are just kind of like stigmatized with, you know. So even if there aren't all of the things, you know, in play um, in terms of restrictions after they've done their time, um, they're still having to like engage with people in a way that's mitigated um, and kind of dehumanizing. Um, and that's something that one of the reasons why we have these first person perspectives from prisoners um, and formerly incarcerated people on the show is because um, often people do feel really alienated and cut off and people aren't, they don't feel you know humanized by other people. And so offering those first person perspectives, the goal is to humanize people and to realize that there's less separating us, you know. Let me uh, play devil's advocate just <coughs> for a, a hot minute here. Um, so that's one side of the argument and one person who, who you can hold up as a success story. Uh, now, in, in cases where people, uh, felons have committed crimes that don't typically uh, escape their behavior like pedophiles, when, you, when that person enters uh, a business or seeking employment, wouldn't you want to know that that's in their background, something like that? Or can you just wipe that under the rug and uh, say, I'm not going to worry about it? I mean, my my personal opinion, yeah. obviously, like in the case of pedophilia, I would want to know this type of thing. Right. But um, from like just an ethical standpoint, you know, I yeah. think that it's I think that it, you can't. You can't just say, you know, everyone should have to disclose, right? And a case-by-case basis or how you engage personally, that's, you know, that's a different thing. But just like on principle, I would say that, you know, people Mm -hmm. shouldn't have to disclose these things and it does continue to impact their lives. Okay. Uh, Let let me pivot just a little bit and ask you one more question. Now, Indiana and Illinois have similar laws regarding felons and voting, correct? Uh, As long as they are not incarcerated, they can vote. So uh, you take some other states like Florida, where, you know, that they're pretty much stripped of their right to vote uh, for for the rest of their natural lives. So that's a different argument uh, when you come to to Indiana and Illinois. Or is there even an argument to be had since they are allowed to vote immediately following a release from prison? Um, You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not really sure what the question is. Um. Okay. Um, how would you compare the two? Um, I think that in Indiana, you know, it is a, it is beneficial um, that uh, people who are impacted by prison are able to vote um, as soon as they're out. Um, I think those voices do need to still be heard, um, and people shouldn't have to be, you know, reaping the consequences of these situations after they have supposedly, you know, paid their debt. Okay, I guess a better question would be, since since felons in Indiana are allowed to vote following uh, release from prison, uh, are there any issues that they have to contend with regarding voting? Not uh, as far as I know, you know, in regards to whether or not they can vote. I mean, there are probably issues with, you know, for certain people, maybe um, either not feeling like their voice matters is a big part of it, and especially when people haven't felt like they've been listened to or been respected within the system. I mean, I think that that impacts people's desire yeah. to vote um, and whether or not they actually feel like it makes a difference. And that's that's a thing to, like, you know, push against. That but, would really yeah. be a good question for our other guest, Fahim, if he's not here yet. Okay. 
I'm sure we'll get him soon. Um, and one of those factors would be um, voter suppression, which, yes. which which many other organizations or factors uh, try to perpetrate in order to keep the numbers down um, in many cases. Um, but I'd like to get your opinion on, on there are many social justice organizations that supporting and promoting the Ban the Box initiative, um, meaning on many job applications, there is always this, have you been convicted, check the box, and what have you been convicted, and that sort of thing. In many cases, um, that's where the interview ends, uh, and, and we think that's patently unfair. Um, and I think what William brought up was, this the band of box initiative does not get away from talking about or even examining that conviction um, but what it does do is not put it at the forefront so that all conversation stops at this point um, at least there's a conversation that we can discuss it but let's talk about the skills and abilities for which you apply for this job in the first place um, what are and this can go to both of you what are your feelings on the band the box initiative or have you given any thought at all i certainly think i had to check the box this morning for um, an opportunity that i have outside of the clerk's office i substitute teach for the monroe county community schools mm -hmm. and i had to submit to a regular background check to continue having the opportunity to do so. So my thoughts would be that it would be dependent upon what um, what position you were applying for as to whether it would be necessary for you to, to disclose that information. Okay. I think for me, um, the reason why I think that uh, that that particular question is a problem is for that very reason you mentioned the interview the application gets thrown away the interview stops I mean they don't get past they don't get through the door um, and that's not just true with employment that's true with um, like housing applications and all those yes. things and so and so it's just you know I think that that just creates a little more equal footing so that people can be um, judged on you know the content of their skills, their actions, their character, and so that they make their way through the door. Um, and I think that that's why those types of things are really important is just so that they get out and there is at least a slightly more level playing field where they're not barred before even being able to, you know, yeah. So <clears throat> to me, that's why I think that that type of thing is really important so that we're not just throwing the applications away, which then, you know, increases the cycle of recidivism and you know makes re-entry yeah. into uh, you know the outside society harder because the the opportunities are fewer and farther between and you have to find places that will employ you you know and you know places that will let you rent a house from them and that kind of thing so and I, and I want our listeners to understand that we are certainly not advocating not doing a limited criminal history background check. Right. Um, I think that's important. Um, We're but just uh, having the discussion. Absolutely. Yes, but as, as Mia said, and, and as part of this life sentence afterwards, that's one of the factors I, I think that adds to that. Um, and, and again, we certainly will do background checks. I think that's important. Um, with my employment, we definitely have to look at uh, crimes against children since we do conferences and things and host children and that so that that is very very important um, 
but if you just say, I've been convicted on the box, as you say, that's probably going in file 13, as we call it, right. and limiting that person's even ability to seek employment. Um, Nicole, have any thoughts on that? No addition. You, don't you love how I put you on the spot? <laughs> yes. Well, city and county government operate in much the same <laughs> way. Um, and uh, so with respect to interacting with children or uh, interacting with money, uh, for example, in my office, millions of dollars come yeah. through the Monroe County Clerk's Office. And so um, we are beholden to the State Board of Accounts regarding our finances. And so um, the, I cannot imagine not having some means to discern whether or not you should have access to a significant amount of money that doesn't belong to you. Well, that kind of makes the whole man the box question a little bit difficult, doesn't it? You, you just gave a very good example. If you have someone convicted of em embezzlement, fraud, uh, theft, do you want them to have access to millions of dollars? I, I certainly think as a person who is responsible for hiring people in the Monroe County Clerk's Office, I should know I might be able to put you in a different position that does not allow you okay. the opportunity to have regular interaction with money um, in a different section of the clerk's office. But because ultimately I am accountable for any theft or any monetary losses from the clerk's office, it's helpful to me to know. Um, I actually also, though, have a background where I work for the Depart Indiana Department of correction in another lifetime so I can see both sides of it and right. why it's important as you said Jim to have that discussion well uh, and and that was a great example of what we just shared um, I'm thinking kind of on a little bit lower level but just as important as opposed to fraud or embezzlement that that level um, having access to that let's talk about misdemeanor theft Let's talk about theft when you get in charge, but you are convicted of conversion, um, which basically is the same thing. Um, and how those, even after you served your <laughs> time, um, paid your debt to society, um, then we can't move forward past that. Um, and that's kind of what I was thinking. If you have any thoughts about that, and, and Mia, one of the things I'm also thinking of here, when an offender goes to prison, pays a debt to society, allegedly has been rehabbed and re-enter into society. The United States has been my understanding and my belief from some of the things I've read and studied. There is no intent to rehab our offenders. It is punitive, whereas other countries have programs um, designed to help that person re-enter into society. Um, and with the country that there's less stigma, less stereotypes, less negative portrayals. Whereas the United States, who you would think we'd be the forefront of all that, is the absolute worst in the world with, with dealing with those type of folks. Um, and what are your thoughts on that? Can we introduce the Norwegian and I'm probably getting that wrong, the Norwegian model of rehab as opposed to the Western model of 
punishment. You read that article too, huh? Hey, uh, let me jump in there real quick. I think we have Fahim on the line. Fahim, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, have you been following the conversation? Yeah, I've been listening to y'all. Okay, we're going to come right back to you after uh, Mia gets a chance to uh, respond to Jim's question. Is that okay? Yes, that's okay. Okay, great. And just your thoughts on the comparison of the two different systems of, of those incarcerated, rehab as opposed to punitive. Um, less negative uh, reintegration into society as opposed to this will follow you for the rest of your days. Well, I think one of the things that you brought up in terms of uh, you know programming on the inside to help people um, has been cut over and over and over again and and I know that lots of people would take the opportunity to uh, get an, an education while they're on the, the inside um, and and those uh, opportunities are being stripped from people um, and those programs are getting shut down and so not only are people spending an inordinate amount of time on the inside cut off from loved ones you know with this kind of like all these you know all this time right there's lots of time there's not very much communication with people on the outside and this time could be spent at least getting an education and that's not being offered to people anymore. So like, why would people be surprised that there is such high rates of recidivism when you get out and the deck is stacked against you, you know, and you don't have like things that are gonna help you. I mean, it's, it, is, it is purely punitive and it's not successful unless what you want is for people to just be cycling back into prison. Private prisons. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of it boils down to money. So Fahim, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, on what we're discussing right now? And basically, the programming is being cut. You know, I just I did 17 and a half years. I was locked up at the age of 14 years old, and I just got out January 2018, and I'm 32 years old. When I first was incarcerated, they had a lot of programming in school, but now they just took college away, and they making you pay $5,000 a semester, and a lot of the programs that they have is not beneficial anymore. So... A lot more needs to be done as far as implementing new programs. That's why, that's what we do with the IDOC Watch. We try to implement better programs to the prisoners on the inside. Because I got my GED and my associate degree in business management and my building maintenance certificate in the NCCER and the OSHA certification in my carpentry one. But I couldn't even finish because they took everything out. So now it's like they just want you to work. They got a lot of um, factory jobs, a lot of furniture factory break shops to where they sign in multi-million dollar contracts, making you work for tenths an hour when they get millions of dollars. So it's just modern day slavery. It's all messed up. Wow. Hey, Fahim, if I can ask, um, which state um, were you incarcerated in? Is that here Indiana, in Indiana? I was here in uh, Indiana. Michigan City Prison, Level 4, Pendleton Prison. Wabash Valley Prison, which is a very racist prison, um, CIC, and Newcastle. Okay, uh, Fahim, we started the conversation off talking about voting. And uh, I wanted to ask you, among the many pleasures that you look forward to upon being released from prison, where does voting fit in there? And like the number one priority because the the the, the world is messed up right now with Donald Trump and you know what I mean and not even just going to the top as him but to even vote in my own city for different mayors and different um Congress and 
council, city council, and all this, like, you would want to try to put your footprint in the sand, but after doing 17 and a half years and getting out and doing right, it's like, I still can't vote. So it's like you're still keeping the chain on me, basically. So do you feel like that's a, a really good start for a second chance at life is being able to go and cast your vote? The most definitely, because that's going to make a change in the world and make a change in your city where you at, because that's where it started. Okay, and for the benefit of our listeners, we are speaking this evening with Miss Nicole Brown, who is the incumbent Monroe County clerk. We also have Miss Mia Beach, and as I could look down, um, but producer of the highly successful WFHB program Kite Line, um, which is a syndicated show which airs 5.30 to 6 p.m. Mondays and Fridays. Get that pitch in. And Mr. Fahim, uh, recently, as of January 2018, released offender um, from our very own Indiana prison system. Um, I am hesitant or trying to keep myself from using the term prison industrial complex. Um, and, and that's exactly what we're talking about, the system, um, the systemic. Um, and I guess I will throw this out because this is getting to a little bit more of a social standpoint. But obviously African-Americans, uh, people of color, uh, disparaged groups, are disparately represented in numbers of those in prisons and jails and convictions. Um, many would promote the fact that there are so many blacks in prisons or or in the criminal justice system because we're more criminally um, minded, criminally prone. Many of the rest of us think there's a lot of um, institutionalized racist practices that are inherent, um, which is one reason why I promote. I think the prosecutor's office at the local level is one of the absolute most important offices that we could vote for with, within our community. Um, but but what I'm getting with that is how many of us think that, that we are actually more criminally prone or is it the system that we're fighting against? Uh, Fahim, I'll, I'll send that to you initially. Mm, I ain't going to say um, criminally prone, but I'm going to say as a result of being around your environment, sometimes you do become a product of your own environment, but the system, they will pick you out just on the color of your skin. So it's like you already got strikes against you already. So it's just, it's just hard, man, especially coming up where I come from, McGill, Indiana. It's real hard. You know, we uh, had a little uh, a little surprise look on our faces here because myself and uh, our guest, Nicole, are both from Gary, Indiana. Homie. That's crazy, ain't it? Yeah, I'm from <laughs> Fifth Avenue and stayed in Glen Park most of my life. Yeah, I grew up on Fifth Avenue, but okay. And I graduated from Llewellyn's High School. In Glen Park. Okay, I see you on it. I see you, Dub. <laughs> in the house. So, uh, Fahim, I have uh, another question for you. H how do you feel being referred to as a felon? Man, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's crazy, man, because it's, it's like a big old, just a black print that ain't going to never go nowhere, man. I mean, I, I, when I first got out, 
some of my brothers from the IDOC watch has sent me some money. Walmart to Walmart, man. And I didn't get a chance to get a state ID yet. So I only had my um my prison ID. So when I showed her that, the lady had an ugly look on her face and was like, no, nah, you can't get the $300 because this is not a, a real ID. I said, my face is on there and my name is on there. What you mean it's not a real ID? So it's like just that spelling period, man, it, it, it stops you from doing a lot. Okay, so there's definitely a stigma attached to uh, to, to being a felon. Uh, definitely, man. Well, definitely, because I was just custodian at Beverage School. I was just custodian at Beverage School, man, for two and a half months, man. And all of a sudden, they talking about, um, oh, we can't have felons here and this and that. I'm saying, I've been here for two and a half months. I was just not figured that out. Uh, Mia, we'll we'll throw that to you, and I'm sure you've heard this in, in many of your interviews with um, some offenders and um, and people in general. Um, any thoughts on that? Um, is there a way for us to get a not around this, but to deal with it better, to to more positively impact um, those that are trying to re-enter into society? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things I was going to say was, um, in terms of talking about like the system and the rise of mass incarceration, mm -hmm. I highly recommend uh, Elizabeth Hinton's book, um, "From the War on Poverty to the War on Crime," and it's a history of how. Um, from a, a governmental level, they started approaching um, poverty and and you know then focused on crime and the way that policing changed and how it uh, inordinately affected people of color as opposed to uh, like white suburban families. And it's a really interesting uh, book. She is able to go into um, different uh, prison databases that hadn't been accessed by anyone else, and she has she's uncovered research that no one else has done. So just highly recommend if you're interested in thinking about the system and like why it's funneling people into prison and why there's this spike in mass incarceration and where and like what laws were being put into place along those times uh elizabeth hinton's book uh is excellent um and in terms of wa ways to do better um i mean I think that there's got to be, and, and I think this is why we spend a lot of time on our show f focusing on humanizing people, but there's got to be less of a divide um, between people who've, who've done time and people who haven't, um, and we need to humanize. I mean, we just need to be able to humanize people and see each other as human beings as opposed to statistics or ideas of what a prisoner is like. Um, and, you know, one in 10 kids in Indiana has had a parent in prison. Um, it's impacting lots more people than I think a lot of us want to realize. And so getting past some of those assumptions, um, I think is like a really important part of it. And that's part of why we spend so much time sharing people's first person stories. It's like, you're driving home, you hear this person telling a story, you're interested in hearing about their life, you realize 10 minutes in that they are someone who's in prison or has been in prison, but you've already like experienced them as a human being first. Right. And I think that's that's an important thing. It's it's about those barriers that are stopping people from engaging on a human level. So that's the best explanation I've heard for banning the box in a long time, <laughs> for in a long time. Mm -hmm. um, Fahim and and I'll I'll touch base with you and Nicole. You can jump in at some point um, if there's an interest or knowledge there. Well, there but is. Yes, ma'am. I'm sure. Well, go go right ahead if you have something. Go ahead, Mr. Fahim, Nicole Brown, Monroe County Clerk. Um, I don't know if you returned to Lake County or if you're in a different county now, but I really want to encourage you to reach out to your county clerk. 
Uh, if you return to Lake County, that is Mike Brown. I see him annually at the clerk's conference in Indianapolis. He could most likely put you in touch with organizations that will help you get your state ID so that you can vote. And um, it's regrettable if you weren't able to vote in the primary election or you don't have your ID in time to, re to vote tomorrow in your community. But um, I would strongly encourage you to reach out to your county clerk because even if they cannot help you in their office, like I'm not allowed to issue a state or government ID, but they can connect you with people who can connect you with getting and I a government issued identification so that you can go and vote in November. I certainly want to hear that you got the opportunity to do that. That's what's up. I definitely gonna get in touch with Michael Brown and see how it go. Or try to get in touch with somebody that can get in touch with because sometimes when you try to get in touch with these um city council and stuff, they they brush you off to their secretaries and other stuff like that and you never get to hear from them unless they want to talk to you. Well, I've met it's him. Word for me. I've met him and I strongly encourage you to reach out to him and if you want to drop Nicole Brown's name, that would be perfectly fine. Okay, I appreciate it, Mr. Nicole. So you're building your network, Fahim. Um, Nicole, I want to get back to voting for just a minute here. Do you actually keep any numbers on uh, um, uh, felons who voted in Monroe County or registered to vote in Monroe County. Okay, so I don't have numbers as far as voters who are registered and incarcerated. Um, what I did this morning was I checked, I received a list of the number of people who are incarcerated in the Monroe County Jail at this time. And I uh, there are three as of this morning there were three hundred and three. That's good. Three hundred and three voters. Uh, we the the operative word is conviction. Whether or not you are convicted on the day that you are interested in voting, if you have not been convicted and you're in the Monroe County Jail, we deliver absentee ballot requests to the jail for you to complete and request your ballot. We did that for this primary election. Regrettably, we did not receive any that were returned to us for people to get a ballot. Okay. Um, uh, Mia, uh, uh, let's take just another tack. Um, and the, again, this is more of a societal view, um, perception, however we want to see it. But would you agree from from a, a con, uh, uh, an offender who's been convicted, served their time, paid their debt to society, and have been released. Many of us have heard and, and get some of the negative portrayals of, of black offenders. How is that compared to white offenders um, when they're released? Um, is it, do they have the same difficulties as black offenders? And I know it's gonna be difficult either way, but do they have the same um, opportunities um, does the concept of privilege have anything to do with this at all? Um, if, if that makes sense. Um, I get the sense that there is a difference the way we view um, offenders uh, based on their color. I mean, I think you're absolutely correct. I think that that's something that, uh, you know, 
people who are white who are released are going to be treated differently uh, than people of color who are who are released, you know, and and people are going to treat them differently. Um, you're still going to run into the same stigmas, but you're also adding racial bias into it, and that's that's just going that's going to happen. Um, there's an air of mistrust that the general public, you know, often has against people who have been convicted of felonies, and then there's you know systemic and you know internalized racism that's that is 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 present, um, and. That's just, I mean, I, I think there is definitely a difference in what people are going to face when they come out, according to those racial biases. Okay. Brother Fahim, what's your thoughts on that? It's definitely a big difference, you know what I mean, because of getting jobs and things of that nature and the way that you looked at, you know what I mean, riding in the car. Um, me just being black, I get pulled over several times because they think that I ain't supposed to have a car, I guess. You know what I mean? And they don't have no reason why they even pulling me over. So it's just, it's just, it's just you know what it is. It's hard, man. We're living in a racist world. It's the last days. You know what I mean? It's going to take for all of us to unite and see past color for us to get it together. But it's like, in what world is that going to happen? The only thing we can do is better ourselves and the better the people around us that we love and our family and our friends and try to hope that that do a difference and write a book to where somebody can read. Fahim, what is this organization that you've mentioned a couple of times now, I.O. something? Um, the IDOC Watch. What we do, my my brother Nick and we got um, Aaron and Adam, Olivia, Avery, and a bunch of other people, we help with injustices and abuse inside of the prison system, and we help implement programs to, like, some of the youngsters in there that can't read, can't write, or they may need some hygiene, or they may need some food and don't have no family. Um, and we send workshops, and we have partners that's on the inside that do weekly groups with them and teach them how to read if they don't know how to read, teach them how to write if they don't know how to write, teach them how to write essays if they don't know how to write essays. And we help them out to the best of our ability and we pay them and we put money on the phone that they can call because I've been through a lot of abuse in the prison system. Like I said, Wallbad Valley is very racist because when I first got locked up in 2000, they beat me up and they was calling me the N-word with the ER on the end and I got sick of it one day and I threw my tray in their face and that was the worst mistake of my life because 10 big white dudes and shield came and beat me up. They hog-tabbed my legs. They hog-tabbed my arms. The nurse came and shot me in my left cheek with a medicine called Hellball and the right cheek with a medicine called Prolixin. Now these two medicines are very toxic and they take you down. So you're only supposed to be shot with one. And they gave me two of them. I caught an allergic reaction. My tongue swelled up so much to where it couldn't fit in my mouth. And I went into a seizure and they, write me, they watched me bite my tongue off for like 20 minutes. And that's why you hear me talk with a list. I only got like 80% of my tongue. Mm. And through the grace of God, I'm able to talk again because I couldn't talk for a year. I had to go to ear, nose, throat, and speech therapy and learn to say the uh, the buh, the teh, the eh, the that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Mia, I wanted to ask you, how did you become so involved in this issue? In the um, well, you know, doing uh, you know letter writing and basic prisoner support, um, knowing people who have been on the inside, and so that interest 
um, then mixed with a, a genuine interest in um, storytelling um, and sharing people's individual stories just sort of blended those two things. And I think that um, I was noticing in corresponding with people that there were many things that the general public misunderstood about prison, um, many things that they just didn't understand the basics of how it works or like why, um, you know, think like basic things like commissary or getting education while in prison, those types of things. Was there one event or experience that motivated you to be an advocate for inmates? No, I would say that it was just more of a slow process and mm -hmm. um, my interest in, it was just a personal interest in, uh, you know, news programming and wanting to share um, <coughs> A lot, a lot of uh, the stories and the news about what was going on inside prison walls. Um, the advent of the um, national prisoner strike um, a couple years back um, was uh, happened right after we first started the show. So I do think that that might have been kind of an impetus for us to, to go forward with a radio show devoted to prison um, because that was a, a really interesting moment in terms of like prisoner organizing and. Um, there wasn't a very good way to get those reports out in a timely fashion. So people on the inside were telling us about what was going on with their prisoner strike and the work stoppages. And we wanted to be able to share in a, a timely fashion um, what we were learning and share that with people on the outside. Okay. And again, while I have a second, um, for the benefit of our listeners and even of myself sometimes, we have as guests, and, and before I do that, William, you know, this show has won multiple awards, and I have to say, when we have such engaging guests like we have, and then some of the topics we discuss, mm -hmm. if I didn't know better, I'd give us awards, too. All we have to do is... Uh, All right. Uh, but for the benefit of our listeners, we're speaking this evening with Miss Nicole Brown, who is a Monroe County clerk, and obviously the voting process is but one of her many, many responsibilities, albeit very, very important. We have Miss Mia Beach with us this evening, who is the producer of WFHB's own program, Kite Line. And we have Mr. Fahim, who was recently released after 17 and a half years in Indiana's prison system. Um, Fahim and Mia, and actually Nicole even as well, I'm thinking in terms of legislation. Um, what type of legislation could we enact or could be a part of helping to resolve the, the, the correctional system, um, which many knows it's racist, it's corrupt. Um, and I'm looking for some positives. There has to be some sort of positive somewhere along the line. I just can't really find any. But would any of that help? Um, for an example, I do know we had severely different um, sentencing rates for crack cocaine versus powder cocaine. And we do know that one is more likely to be in, in uh, uh, white society and more others more prevalent in black society. And they were vastly different. I think there's been some legislation that have brought those more in line. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is, will things like that help inmates, um, help the system? Um, and Fahim, while I can, I'll let you respond to that. And our guests, uh, they look like they're ready to respond as well. Well, I really don't think that that's going to help with my solution is eradicate the prison system, period. Because it's modern-day slavery, you know what I mean? It's so much that goes on with it that I want to touch on, but I'm going to give everybody a um, 
chance to speak their mind on it, and I want to speak on a couple other things that's going on recent in prison that me and the IDOC watch is about to fight to help. So if Mia wanted to go, she can go in after everybody talk. I'd like to speak on what I'm talking about so y'all can understand what I'm saying. All right, ladies. Um, I think it starts at the top. Um, I'm sure Mr. Fahim um, would join me in acknowledging the fact that it starts with the governor. The governor of the state is who oversees ultimately the Indiana Department of Correction yes. and who the governor has in place and who is in our state legislature. Um, the state reps and uh, state senators who make the legislation. You all have to be working in tune with one another to get the reform that it sounds like you're speaking of. Um, you serve at the will of the governor. When I worked for the Indiana Department of Correction, that certainly was the case. You can tell what governors will put money into the Department of Correction and ones who will not. And I've served under both types of governor. It definitely makes a difference as to what you can and cannot do with persons who are incarcerated in Indiana um, in Indiana prisons. Um, and so the other thing that I was going to suggest to Mr. Fahim, in addition to getting that uh, government ID so that you can vote in the elections, is also getting involved with groups that support putting people in office who will help you with working with the inmates and doing what you do for the IDOC watch um, because it's who it's who's in office it's who's uh, whose ear who has the ear of the governor that will make the difference that's okay. a good point and, and man I'll let you now, I don't want to cut you off I don't want to cut nobody off Mia but my thing is we had a, 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 a petition while I was in prison to talk to the governor and to talk to some of the big wigs that's at Central Office in Indianapolis. Um, and it's like they didn't know nothing that was going on in the prison. One thing about Indiana, every prison is different. And what I mean when I say different is it's different programs. Commissary costs different. Um, the the COs is different. The phone systems is different. And I thought it was supposed to be all DOC watch. I mean, not, not watch. They definitely not the IDOC. But everything is different there. When they finally did come, they didn't even know what was going on in the prison. The warden didn't even know what was going on in his own prison. So it kind of bewildered me that she would say to try to talk to the government because they don't even know what's going on. Hmm. Uh, Mia, we can touch on there. Also. So many privatized prisons. There's so many private. We got Newcastle, a privatized prison. Community mm -hmm. Corrections is a privatized prison. When I got out, I had seizures. They couldn't even hold me at the Community Corrections because I have seizures because they don't have no nurses on stand. It's mm -hmm. a privatized prison, which means they don't have to go by the state policy. They go by their own policy. And whatever it is, they do. All right. And I think it's safe to say that everyone in this room, um, including yourself, are not in support of prison privatization. Um, we do know that's driven by dollars. Um, uh, there is a, a, a mandatory minimum uh, population in order to make it right. viable, so therefore that trickles down to make sure we have those beds filled. It increases um, recidivism. Yes, it does. Now, Mia, um, and <coughs> I, I, we're kind of jumping around here, so I hope I didn't lose you. Um, Another one of the things that, that that I'm thinking about, and I just kind of <laughs> slipped where I was going. Um, um, 
William, you have to help me out here. There's so much stuff. Okay, here. I've just, I've just well, lost let me, it. Let, let me throw it over to Nicole here. Yes. There's a question I've been wanting to ask her. A few weeks ago, we had uh, Mark Fraley on, mm-hmm. uh, Monroe County Democratic Party chair, and he mentioned something about um, polling, a shortage of uh, polling places up in Marion County, mm-hmm. and of the one or two that they had, that they were not very accessible. So some would say that that comes under the column of voter suppression. So my question to you is, um, I'm not going to ask you if we have any of that in Monroe, in Monroe County, but as a county clerk, are you in a position to prevent any of, in, any of those types of occurrences or uh, try and ensure that that doesn't happen? With respect to the accessibility for polling sites, you're at the mercy of who is in charge of that particular polling sites. So, um, for example, uh, a lot of the clerks in the emails that I've seen over the last few days have reached out to one another about schools and the accessibility of using those as polling sites on Election Day. In Monroe County, we're very fortunate because Monroe County schools will be closed tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That allows us to use Bloomington High School South, University Elementary, Grandview, Highland Park. We're very fortunate um, that may not be um, Miss Myla's fortune. Myla Eldridge is the clerk in Marion County. So you're at the mercy of who makes those available. um, And that also opens up a point of contention about whether or not kids should be out of school tomorrow. but is that the clerk's decision? It is not. It is not. Okay. It is not. I also wanted to ask you, um, part of your job is certification, is that correct? Of the election. Of the election. Yes. Um, not individual ballots? No. Just the just I will the, certify at the end of the night, tomorrow night, that uh-huh. the elections in Monroe County were above board. There was no money wagered on the outcome of any of the election, that the count is accurate, um, that nothing was tampered with. And so you can take at face value the results of what we produce tomorrow night. What types of uh, issues would cause the clerk to not certify an election result? I I think I'm so excited about tomorrow night that I actually cannot even think of a reason that we wouldn't be able to certify. We've got fraud, voter fraud. There is very little voter fraud, and none of which I'm aware in Monroe County, um, as far as somebody voting but is twice. But that, is that one thing that if, would if cause If there a was problem. evidence of fraud, that would be a problem. Okay. Okay. And I'll touch, and, and we were talking about Marion County, and, and the issue there, and there has been uh, the ACLU and the, the state NAACP, uh, there is another group that was involved that, that sued the state. Um, but the main issue was polling places. There was only one downtown, mm. uh, parking issues, all kind of things. Um, so the suit, uh, uh, these groups won the suit, which means now there will be two more polling places, mm-hmm. um, but not in time for early voting. Mm. So there will be two more um, for, for the general election. Um, but Mia. And, and then after we do this, then we'll get with Fahim. I know he has some things um, that we really, that he wants to get onto. But we're talking about talking with the governor and elected officials. Can you imagine what would happen if they are perceived to be weak on crime from an election standpoint? Um, uh, that perception is, is so harmful in and of itself. 
um, but it seems to be important in in many of the, in particularly the, your more right wing um, side. <laughs> yes. Um, so, what is your perception on that? How how can we get past that? I mean. I don't know. Tough on crime is what gets votes. Correct. You know, I mean, yeah. that just is, is is very simple. How you change those perceptions, again, I mean, I would say that it's just, it's about, you know, the society as a whole learning how to humanize people so that you don't have to take that stance. Um, but a lot of it's fear-based, you know, and that, and that type of thing does end up getting votes, unfortunately. I don't really have a solution. Uh, you know, if but you did we'd be running you for governor? Yeah, so trust uh, me. that would go great. <laughs> um, but you know, generally, I mean, yeah, weak on crime and any perception of weakness when you're running for office in general, but especially like, you know, of course you would be tough on crime. Like it's almost like a given for most people because it's an idea of protection and protecting families. They're not really considering that a lot of these like you know drug offenses that wind somebody's like you know parent in prison and end up with the cycle of like fines and yeah. fees and incarceration actually is like destroying many families um, rather than like protecting people, you know. Okay, okay Fahim, oh, go the, ahead. Last, the last minute goes to you, Fahim. We're running out of time. I appreciate it. Um, I just wanted to touch base. I don't know if y'all was aware of it, but I don't know if it's in every prison, but in Indiana, when I was in Michigan City and they already didn't um, put it into play in Miami County. But what are they saying now is if 60% of the population in prison, and that prison fails a drug test, the whole prison get non-contact visits. I don't see where that's constitutional because all you have is your hug from your daughter or your wife or your mother, and the little time you can eat the food with them and see them physically. Now they're making everybody have non-contact visits if 60% of the prison failed. We don't have nothing to do with anybody else. All you can control in prison is yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a corporal punishment. Okay, well, I think that just about does well, it for us, unfortunately. Yeah, Seems we, like we, we never do have yeah, enough time. Yeah, we got time. just a second. But is that law or policy that we're talking about? It's probably policy. That's a policy that's going on in the prisons in Indiana right now. Mm -hmm. they have and if anybody want to get in touch with me, you can get in touch with me at Jerry Smith, J-O-R-8-6 at gmail.com. And we have a record label, Whorehead Entertainment, Ghost Mafia Records, and IDOC Watch. Okay. Good if luck, you want Mr. to get Fahim. my number, you can get it from the radio station. Did you hear that, Fahim? Everybody wish you good luck. Thank you, tell everybody. Thank you, tell me. Thank you for the information, Nicole, William, and the Kite Line radio station. I appreciate y'all for taking the time out to listen to what I have in my mind because it's a lot inside of it, and I wish everybody nothing but blessings. Okay, thank and you. on that note, we want to thank thank everybody that's listening. We want to thank all of our panelists for their views and perspectives on the right to vote and the power behind your vote. Joining us were incumbent Monroe County Clerk Nicole Brown, Mia Beach, producer of WFHB's syndicated program Kite Line, and finally joining us by phone, activist Raheem. Fahim. Him uh, too. Yes, him too. Um, and I will say, Fahim, if you're still on the air, um, be prepared. I'm sure our producer will be in touch with you. I think we have much, much, much more to talk about. So, Bring It On has an early sub open submission policy, so if you have an, an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. 
We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at wfhb.org. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Chris Martin. No relation. <laughs> Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And it has been my pleasure. I am Jim Sims. Tune in next Monday, May 14th at 6 p.m. to bring it on for another exciting show right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.